Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your black and white lifeboat on the stormy seas that are Fulham's 2018-19 season. It's a dark, dark time at the moment in the quest for Premier League survival, with a 2-0 defeat in deepest, darkest South London condemning the Whites to remain seven points off safety, with United, Liverpool, City and Chelsea looming large over the course of February and March. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening, and joining me are a couple of people who know a thing or two about a quest. First up, the sage wizard of the group, Fulhamish's voice of reason, 4-4 Drew, Drew Heatley is here. Hello everybody. And joining him is a man who spent the majority of his life playing RuneScape and Dungeons and Dragons online late into the night. It's Dom Betts. Hello, hello. How are we, boys? It's more Asian mythology, but whatever. <laughs> we'll take it. Well, before we take a long, hard look at the situation that Fulham find themselves in, our three-word reviews had some wonderful entries this week, shall we say. Would you like to do the honours? Khan's Moneyball Failure. From? That is from Rob French 01. Cool. Dan Target with Just Go Forward. And I'll finish it off with J Paris 1111, shit wank relegated. <laughs> right, well. That's, that, that is, that's the best one, clearly. That's it. Is that what we're going for as the yeah. name name of this podcast? Yeah, shit wank relegated, done. Right, good. Well, thank you, Dom, for some really good ones there. Just before we get on to the game, a quick reminder that Fulhamish is back for the season by Labbrooks. And for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Let's get into it then. Drew, were there any positives at all to take from the weekend at Selhurst Park? Well, without sounding like Dom, it was the two beers I got bought at half-time was probably the positive uh, of that day. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised at the vitriol in those three-word reviews because I just have a sort of sense of just a sense of resignation and just a sense of a lack of energy after after what was probably one of the most turgid games I've seen in a long time. There was just nothing about us. It was just 90 minutes of going through the motions that ended up in the inevitable 2-0 defeat and Dom you know you're one not for positivity I imagine there wasn't much you took out of it either no <laughs> good excellent no it was just, it was just boring if anything not yeah. as, no, no, it, I agree. I'm not saying it was bad but like the first thing that came out of the game was that that was just plain and that was just boring like, yeah. I was resi- I was resigned to defeat as soon as the team line came out at 2 o'clock so let's talk about that like, you know we Played our best 45 minutes in a long, long time against Brighton, you know, in that second half where we switched to four at the back. We got the ball wide. We we looked to actually dominate the centre. And Ranieri's first thought was to go back to five at the back. Is that, ex- you know, can you explain that? It tells me that I don't think Ranieri was the thing that changed, why we changed in the second half. I just think it was the players that kept, put it among themselves saying we need to change this and they played the only way they know how to yeah. if Rennie was then changing it back he's either didn't couldn't didn't wasn't watching that second half or because I just can't see how Ranieri why he would change it if he's played the best half football we've played under him because if you look at the games we have won at home you know apart from Brighton the, the Southampton game and the Huddersfield game under Ranieri we didn't play well in either of those games we didn't play as well as we did against Brighton so it makes me think that the players took it upon themselves to sort of pull out this performance out of the bag so I, I'm just worrying does Ranieri enough control of his squad You've got to gauge the you've got to gauge the dressing room, right? Like they obviously they obviously want to play in that in that way, and they've obviously responded in that way against Brighton. And to put it back, it's to say I know better than you. And you know, obviously, he's the manager, and what he says goes. But I don't think he knows what's best for this these sort of eleven players on the pitch at the moment. I think 
it was well, it's the most ineffective back five in the Premier League history, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And when as soon as you see that on the lineup an hour before kickoff, it sucks. It sucked the room. It sucked the air out of the the, the room where we were. And and if that happens to you know fans, what's it like for the players? They almost feel resigned to defeat before the games even happened. It was an absolute disaster. And it's management 101 not to do those sorts of things to to knock the the spunk out your players basically absolutely well, Fulham did create the the first real opening in the game with, with Mitrovic heading wide from quite a nice little Joe Bryant cross I think that was it though I think that's pretty much all we created for the whole game Mitrovic should score but would things have changed at all had we done so um, I don't know because the way we were playing we weren't setting up to counter attack them at all really so they're, they're, they're more set up to counter attack against us and that's why I thought it was going to be an interesting one because we need to attack them because it's the only way we know how to play and they're very good at counter attacking other teams that's why I think they're better away from home than they are at home Crystal Palace so yeah Mitrovic probably should score it but you know you still expect us to create other chances in the game it's still relatively early on so it wasn't we weren't like oh that was our chance like we expected to create more chances than that at Crystal Palace Drew does anyone come out of the game with any credit kind of whatsoever uh, I can't I can't see any I mean you wonder you know there's no little wonder that Mitrovic is going to the board with his uh, with his ringers on his on his phone because you know he's got absolutely nothing yeah on Saturday and you know, yeah, absolutely. Nobody really comes out with any uh, with any credit at all. Obviously, Rico came out with uh, leading the the ratings on the Fulhamish website, but you know, what does that tell you about with, the whole with game? a six? With a six, I mean, what does that tell you about the whole game? That does, that well, if you're looking at numbers, that basically says they weren't very good, but they weren't bad either. They were just bog standard, and that's your best player on the pitch at the sure. time. It's sure. quite And then, you know, Sherler's not in the team because he's injured. And then what do we get? We get Kearney outright and, you know, Sess doesn't even get looking again. And just the whole thing was... For for all of the highs of Tuesday night, the lows today, uh, on Saturday, sorry, were some of the... some of the, Just some, some of the worst. Does does Ranieri have to go? Like, I don't think he will. I think we we look at this kind of on a on a level. The, the Cards will let him see out the season because... Otherwise, they're going to get a reputation for sacking managers after after ten games. And Ranieri has got more points, you know, than than Slavisa had in less games. And there is something to be said for that. Yeah, but, but you've also got to look at the fact that Slavisa pretty much has to go all to the top six sides away from home. Yeah, no, no, of course. And uh, but I think that in general, you know, the the points per game, we've scored more goals, we've conceded less. You know, all of those things count and factor into you know a decision. But if this is a side going nowhere in this division, and it very much looks like that, is is this a time to just get rid, restart, rethink about the philosophy? Because surely they're looking at the club, watching how we played on Tuesday night when we played attacking possession football, and then gone, the manager has just decided to completely can that and look at the response we got. Yeah. Well, I also think, you know, I said this before Slav got such that, you'd rather go down with Slav than go down without him. Yeah, and, okay. And, and my, another point is that, you know, Ranieri, we I think Slavisa got not deservedly got us out, but he got sacked at the right time. We just brought in the wrong wrong manager because, like, I think you mentioned it. It's like you can't bring in a polar opposite manager with the, with a players who suit a totally different style of play and expect it to work. Like you say, Ranieri, Ranieri hasn't really brought in any of his own players. We brought in Lazar Markovic, Harvin Nordby, and Ryan Babel. So you know, they're not exactly Ranieri type players, I guess. I guess you'd argue. So he's still got a, a attacking possession based sort of squad and. For the football he's going to play, they simply just can't play that way. So, it, it doesn't make the appointment didn't really make sense. And you know, I think to be honest, I just I don't really know what anymore. To be honest, I just really go. I don't. I don't. Oh, I don't care who's going to. If he is, I don't see anyone going to come in and make a difference. And if he does go, they'll probably end up just giving it Scott Park till the end of the season. Oh please, we 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 were a two out of ten under Slav. We 
are probably a four out of ten under Ranieri, and we needed to be a seven out of ten to survive. I think and. Basically, he's come in, you know, he's done better, but he's not done anywhere near enough. And I think when the Khans uh, uh, appointed him, they probably thought he'd sort of shore up the defence and, and then we'd carry on scoring goals. But obviously what he's done has gone the other way and he's he's not even really shored up the defence enough and we're not scoring well, as many goals. So. Tricks. You can't they, they can't defend, they just can't defend well, at this level. And like, that's why I'm, I don't see the reason to play a three or five at the back because you're inviting on pressure. What's the point? If we can't defend, but we can attack, you might as well go out all guns blazing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, yeah. I thought our best play- our best player on, on Saturday was a defender. I thought Max Lamarchand came out with, with a reputation vaguely intact. I don't think he did anything wildly wrong. I mean, there was hard, you know, it's hard for us to say he was done anything right, but at the same time, he, he dealt with what he had to deal with in, in a reasonably sensible manner. He And, and he's, I can say the same against Spurs and against Brighton. You know, if we if we had Mawson back here now, would we be looking at the situation differently? I think so, just because not necessarily because of his ability, but I think he's the only anything close you've got to a leader at the back who's going to communicate with his players and direct them where to go. But I also think that a lot of these players aren't used to playing three at the back systems, and that's that's why it's not working. Yes, you can you you may have more, more capable defenders to play in that system, but they're not used to playing that way. They don't know what I'm going to do. I think you know we need all our better players are players who are going to go forward. So why are we sacrificing that for? playing defenders when we know they can't defend I feel like it's just stupid to try and defend when we know we can't we should go out and attack teams and we showed that in the second half against Brian that when we have, when we have control and we go out and attack them more directly as we get putting balls in the box onto Mitchford's head as we saw in the first chance we got against Palace that we can create chances so for me yeah I just I just don't understand what Ranier is doing at the moment the Telegraph generously describes our f- formation on Saturday as a fluid three-four-three, which uh, I thought was a bit generous. I, I, yeah, there was, I, there was zero things that were fluid. There about was nothing. Yeah, it was about as fluid as a lump of coal. Sadly, and I, I think you're right about Maxime Lamarchon. I think across the back, bar our disastrous right back uh, situation, which I'm sure we'll get onto, there wasn't a huge. It's not as if you know there was calamitous areas throughout the game when we got hammered seven-nil, but there was just no. There was just no industry throughout any of the side, really. Uh, uh, let's get on to that right-back dilemma, dichotomy, where, whatever you want to call it. Cyrus Christie had an absolute stinker from, from the start and, and didn't look confident, didn't look comfortable on the ball. And then TFM came on for him when he got injured and made that performance look positively bright from the from the amount of balls that he passed back to Dennis Adoy. How have we got zero capable right-backs? But my problem is that it's not. I think it's not just the. It is that the players are shit, right? But Ranieri, the way Ranieri tends to play, I think it's got massive ways to do with it because I've seen Fossi Benz play for other sides and I've seen Sarah Christie play for other teams when he would bomb down the line and he would try to put ball in. But Ranieri surely must have told him, no, play Dennis Doyle and try to play it through the middle because. They're, they're playing in a system which requires on your wing-backs and none of them are bombing down the line yeah. like, and, and, and trying to put balls in the box when that's really our aim with Alexander Mitrovic up top. So I just don't get... I don't. I think, yes, the players are awful, but I don't think, I think Ranieri's instructions are making them even worse. Well, I think we can go back to the Bristol City game last year at Ashton Gate. And, you know, I mean, that was the first time that Cyrus played for the club and he spent the entire time basically in the Bristol City half. He set up the Mitrovic covers yeah. and he, it was one of those things where it's like, OK, he'll cover and do exactly what Fredericks does, you know, albeit maybe not the same level, but he'll do the exact same job that Fredericks does. But, you know, for, for us, when, when Fredericks leaves, and as soon as Ranieri's come on, it appears that he has no ability to get past the, his opposite number anymore. And it seems very strange. 
they're both the incomplete package in terms of Fosse Mensa and Christy, to my mind. Christy's got all the enthusiasm and, and sort of, uh, you know, he's, he's ready to go, but he's not got the he's not got the ability. Whereas, you know, Fosse Mensa on paper and from what people have said, you know, he's got the ability. Uh, you know, he's playing for Man United where he was in the, you know, at the club, um, but he doesn't seem arsed. He's well rated by Man United. Yeah, and he's well rated, but he doesn't seem arsed. So what you've got is the worst part of both players uh, if you could combine them both, you might have a half capable right back. But the fact is, we knew Fredericks was going to go from you know near enough Christmas last year, last season, and we we did not replace him in the slightest. And I don't count having a United youngster on loan as a, as replacing him in any way, shape, or form. A lot of calls at the moment for Steven Sessignon to be included in the squad. Is this you know a reasonable shout? I, you know, I think there's a there's a, a place for. A place for a youth to be included and, and used as a pathway to, to especially for next season, to, to ingratiate them in a side. At the same time, Steven Sessignon couldn't get in the squad when we were playing in the championship. So is he, is the answer in a Premier League side? Well, I don't know. I, I saw Steven Sess actually on Saturday walking down Whitehorse Lane, going around to the away end, and I, he was yeah, he was just with one of his mates walking down. I thought surely he should be at least in the squad. I, my issue is right. Fossey Mens is clearly not wanted. No. Right. We tried to send him back. Yes, that was to probably bring in other players, but surely that's saying something to Steven Sess. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying Steven Sess was better than Fossey Mensa. We probably, probably couldn't be worse, but I think that, you know, I think it's saying something. Ran, I, I still think Ranieri doesn't have something against you playing youth players. Yes, I understand that, you know, you, you can't, sometimes you can't be playing youth when you need to get results, but it just says something, then he's bringing on Floyd Aito in like the 89th, 90th minute yeah, when Ryan, Ryan Sess is on the bench. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I thought maybe this season, you know, the likes of De La Torre, the likes of Matt O'Reilly might get some sort of inkling playing either the cup games or even in the matchday squads, but that's clearly not the case. You know, if I, move, if I hark back to the Oldham game, you know, that squad was, in, was embarrassing because, you know, you can complain about other teams not playing their youth players, but you can't, you're not doing it yourself. You've not really got anywhere to stand on. So, yeah. I think that it's Ranieri. As I think you know, we we we've I pride our team at the moment on the amount of youth we've seen over the last few years. And if Ranieri's going to ruin that, you can get out as soon as I think so. My my concern is that you bring on somebody like you bring in somebody like Stephen Sessegnon on this at this stage of this season, the way we're doing, you're going to do more damage to him than good. I think you know you you blood your youngsters when you're on when you have a when you're not you can be on the ascendancy or you've got a platform to from which to ascend. And at the moment we're in freefall, and I really don't think it would do him any good uh, to struggle alongside uh, 10 other players who are struggling as we plummet back down towards the championship. I think you're going to do a much better job with him when you regroup, you start next season and you you give him a, at least half a chance to succeed. Well, do you think, you know, because Southampton this season struggling in the same way a lot of the time that Fulham were, especially under Hughes, and yet Jan Valery has been given multiple opportunities at right back to it and he hasn't been particularly good this is something that, that interests me he hasn't been particularly good but then this this window they've sold or they've loaned out their other right back Cedric Suarez to, to Inter Milan to, to give Valerie that kind of there you are this is your spot nail it down and even though he hasn't been you know that strong they're you know they're, they're in, in, encouraging him to say look this is what we see for you this is this is our future and and, and we're putting faith in you and even if he is struggling Surely that confidence should breed some sort of familiarity, if nothing else. Yeah, and the, but I think the, the curious case of Stephen Sess, as I'm dubbing it now, is that, you know, we're almost acting like a dog in a manger with him. We don't want to use him yet, but we don't really want anyone else to use him. Like, it's not been out on loan. And is that because we don't want to separate him from Ryan? Like, is that is that the thought process behind it? So we're not using him, but he's not getting any first-team experience. And maybe a season in the champ or, you know, if he'd gone in January till May... 
a, season, a half a season in the championship would have done him the world of good, particularly if you assume that we're going to be in it next season. Yeah, definitely. Just a, a kind of final thought on that. Is it time to, to cut loose with Ranieri and, and replace him with someone to build for the championship next season, Drew? My first thought is, you know, he's not. We're not going to do anything with Ranieri in charge. the The thing that's stopping me short of saying yes, swap him, is that the spectre of Scotty Parker looms large. Uh, but bar that, there's not a credible replacement. There was a replacement for Slavin Hasenhutl. We missed the boat. End of. I think we made that bed. And we, for Slav. Well, there was. Lepetigui, but we've made our... Oscar Garcia. Yeah. You know, th- th- there are a lot of people who could have come in and and, and done that, and, and instead we decided to appoint the antithesis of Slavisa. And and we've made that bed, and I think that now we're just going to have to lie in it. It's just the the thing I worry about is isolating players. You know, if if, if Ryan Sessegnon and, and Dom and I have discussed this at, at length before, in that. And we think another season for Ryan Sessegnon in the championship wouldn't wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for his career. You know, he's still so young and he's still learning and, and still being him. But if he's going to do that, why would he sit on the bench for Fulham if he could sit on the bench for, you know, Manchester United? Or or, or someone that, you know, at least at least he was then moving up in, in the kind of world of football. And if it, if it makes really no sense if we're trying to, like, if we're isolating our own kind of crop in order to placate a manager who's going to walk at the end of the season anyway. Yeah, it's damaging. And I think that Ryan must... I think he's got his head screwed on enough to realise that, you know, if it goes wrong and we end up going back down, that is not going to stick around. Now, he also probably he also probably knows it, that he's had, you know, a mixed, mixed season so far. I wouldn't say it's been... It's not been bad. It's not been great. And I think... You know he's screwed on enough to know that maybe, as we've just said, another season in the champ might be better for him. But I, I wonder whether how much Ranier is going to factor in that decision because there is a risk, as you say. Well, I think that's pretty much all we've got to talk about for Palace. There's a lot today to discuss about the fact that Liverpool at home has sold out in a matter of minutes. There's a lot of things up in the air and a lot of people are very cross. So we'll be discussing that and we've got absolutely loads of questions to do after the break. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I'm joined by Drew Heatley. Hello. And Don Betts. Hello, hello. We're going to talk about these Liverpool tickets then. So for those of you who aren't aware, Liverpool went on sale last week to members. Not members with a booking history, to members. It costs, Drew, under 50 quid to become a member at Fulham. I think it's about 40 quid, yeah. Uh, and then it only went on sale to season ticket holders today. It was supposed to go on sale to people with a booking history later on in the week. It sold out today. At five minutes past ten, when I went on there to have a look for a ticket for me old man, uh, there were no seats left in the Putney End or the Riverside. There were a couple dotted about in the Johnny Hens, and the only ones really in the Hammersmith were at the back of H5 or right down the front. So compare this, Dom. To Chelsea, uh, you've got the the thing in front of you. Chelsea, which you know, I imagine most Fulham fans will tell you is probably the biggest game of the season at home in terms of like a, a rivalry. Yeah. So uh, if we look at, I'm, I'm not digging into any particular blocks, but just looking at the seat map at the moment, all four Putney blocks are available. Every single place in Johnny Haynes is apart from the ends. Uh, you still got S, T, W, and Z in the Riverside stand, and you know Hammersmith H2 to H7 still have gone on sale. So if we, let, if we just let's just even look at if we look at the Putney end, if we look at the Putney end, let's say. Uh-huh. P4, which is to stand right next to their away block, nearly the entire block is still available to buy. Yep, and this is and Chelsea went on sale at the same time as Liverpool. Yeah, they, they, all the rest of the home 
tickets for the rest of the season. I think went on sale this morning. Seen ticket holders at ten o'clock this morning. If we look at if we look at H five, you still got the back of H five and the front bit H five free, but that's expected. It's one of the main stands. Of, fun. of but course, I think the, the decisive thing is that the Putney end has got so many seats available. If I look at P three again, there's still like, there's still loads at the back, loads at the front. P P two again, loads of seats at the back. And you know, I think it's just it's embarrassing, and the club really need to reanalyze the situation. So look, we 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 are speculating. We we should kind of you know address that straight away that this is speculation, but it's very very good guesswork speculation because there is absolutely no way that that game would have sold out after ten minutes of it being on sale to season ticket holders if there wasn't an alternative method going away. And, and Drew, you said earlier you had a look up on uh, Seatwave or whoever the ticket resale site was. How much were tickets going for when that happened in the Putney End? There was uh, Putney End tickets going for around 500 quid plus. Um, I think yeah, we're guessing, but there's a horrendous whiff about the whole thing, right? And it's sort of, it's it's ticketing 101. There's an argument to have members, you know, having a chance at fair whack at tickets, right? You know, season ticket holders will get to go to every home game. So, you know, let's give the members a chance. But the very simple safeguard that you put onto that is booking history. Why has that been eliminated? The only reason that stipulation will have been omitted, and it's probably, you know, and I'm, I would guess that it's, you know, other clubs have this exact thing, but we don't, is money. Yep. And and it's and that's that's the horrendous stench about the whole situation. There is absolutely no reason to take that stipulation off, apart from the fact that you want to sell out and you don't care who gets the tickets. And it is—I don't think it's even necessary just about selling out. If you make that thing a, a, an extra thing, so if there's, you're saying that a Liverpool fan has to buy a membership and then book a sixty-pound ticket, that's a hundred and ten pound going into the club's pocket as opposed to the normal sixty, which is too much anyway. Sure. Uh, and we, you know, we've all arranged it. Uh, but actually, sorry, let me, let me take that back. It's Liverpool in the Premier League. £60 is expensive like, and too expensive for a football game. But in the grander scheme of things, it makes more sense than that being the price for Brighton at yeah. home or Newcastle Yeah, at but home. you look at you look at uh, the Riverside, it also sold out. The ticket in Block W, which is the, the main, the nearest Riverside block, or I think you can get cl- really close to halfway on that because obviously the executive seats in the next one along. The tickets in that would have been 75 I think. So you still, and then, yeah, so that's, you know, that's, that, that they've all sold out as well with a lot of memberships. I don't know how many scenes ago is it in these particular blocks, but my, 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 issue, my issue is that, like, you know, we, I remember hearing a director saying, or of many clubs saying, well, as long as they're selling at this price, we're going to keep them at this price because that's sort of how a business model works. And, you know, I thought maybe Pat, we might have made a point at Brian because obviously it wasn't a complete sellout and maybe because of the, the, the weather at the front of the Hammersmith end was a big reason in that. But well, Farrell, well, Farrell said it today that the Brighton game was Fulham's lowest home attendance in the Premier League since 2009. And there is only one reason that that is yeah. the case and it's because ticket prices are through the roof. And given the fact that Fulham have been appalling for most of this season, it doesn't add up to what you're paying for as to what you're getting. You you have these away fans that are in the home stands. Now, you know, if they cheer for the away team, they get kicked out. So what they're doing is they're sitting there silent for the game. So what you get then is an atmosphere in the stands that is as limp and as listless as the performance was at, uh, on the weekend. And Craven Cottage, for a start, has always been criticised for not having the loudest support. And, you know, the club has even done reports into it. They've commissioned reports and said it's not the open ends, uh, open corners that, you know, that stop the sound from echoing around the ground. I'll tell you what it is. I don't need you don't need a report. It's going to be you know tourists and uh, away fans in home stands. That's what's cutting the atmosphere down to its knees. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's something to be said here, and that you know we all will sit here and defend Fulham to the hilt. But when when your club is being run 
in a way that you don't think is, is feasible and you in a way that you know we saw this season on more than one occasion away fans in the Hammersmith end openly supporting their team and that I might, might if we we're talking about Liverpool I remember there was Liverpool fans in our away end yes at Anfield wearing literally wearing a Liverpool scarf and a Liverpool hat like I don't I don't know maybe how they've got it and my, the way I make this comparison with that is you you look at Liverpool we brought we sold out the away end right which was probably 3000 tickets maybe yet and that's on a Sunday morning at midday yeah, in one of the, was one of our bigger game scenes, Burnley away, which is probably a similar distance. I know, yeah. I know there was transport situation, but that doesn't affect people buying tickets, as far as I'm concerned. Like, no. They were still bought them anyway because they got to Liverpool that time, and that was nearly impossible as well. So, but yet we only brought what a thousand, to that, a thousand to that game. Yeah. So, you know, th- there is a situation in our coming where we're in Premier League last time when you, we know in a, then we know there are too many tourists in our, in our stadium. But you know, my my problem is that I don't I don't have. A particular problem if you want to give the if you got a Liverpool mate and want to come to the game with you and they're sitting with you and you know they're not going to celebrate because they're your mate you know that yeah. they come to watch the game. Well, I mean, I, I, it's not it's not the best thing in the world, but like I haven't got an issue with it. My issue is the club don't seem to care about the regular working class fan, especially at Fulham. And if, if we are talking about tourists, it's probably important to point out. And I've been pulled up on this on Twitter before. By tourists, we mean player. Uh, People who come who only care about watching Premier League football, who have no f- affiliation or care about Fulham whatsoever. I appreciate there are uh, Fulham fans across the world who come oh, yeah, and watch, not, and that's, and that's not, not, not who mean. that's absolutely not who we mean. But I've been pulled up before without making that distinction. So it's no, that's a so. that's a valid point. I mean, what can we do? I, I guess is the, is the next step. Is there anything we can do, or do it's, we just have to grin and bear a, it's this? It's not a Fulham issue. It's a well, it's a nationwide issue. When it comes to when it comes to the Premier League, because the, it's not just our club who has its issues. Every club has ticketing issues, and I think Agreed. it's time English football fans need to make a change. Because we look if we look across continents to somewhere like Germany, the reason this, these sort of things don't get to happen is because the fans go out and protest and will be will be visually against it on TV cameras, etc. I think English football fans are sometimes too passive about these sort of things. Yeah. I think they're too willing to sort of let it slide and complain on social media, but won't actually do anything proactive. I mean, if I just compare ticket prices to what I'm paying when I go to the Bundesliga at the end of the month after West Ham like I think I know Kajas Lauter in third tier but I've still I think I played about 11, 11 euro for a ticket there I think for even the Bundesliga game I think it's Freiburg Augsburg I've paid what 20, 20 euro 20 quid for that yep. and like you know it's just I don't understand, I don't understand like we know clubs don't need match day revenue to to progress like it's not that important to them at all I understand when it comes to like League, league 2 League 1 championship teams especially if you look at a team like AFC Wimbledon who are self-sustaining yes. obviously ticket, ticketing is a huge part of the revenue but it isn't seeming like that in the Premier League team and you know we, we I hate to say we've built up a fan base o- over the championship years but we have if you look at an away end in 13-14 and compare it to an away end last season a very similar game if you compare maybe Holloway to literally the two Holloways they're both a very very similar time actually in the season the, you know the away end would, was so much different at both games age wise and atmosphere wise so I think you know the clubs are all clubs really are sort of they're getting close to sort of disillusioning fans and it's quite ironic that we're talking about ticketing prices against a team like Liverpool who've been one of the front runners in trying to reduce ticket prices in the country yeah it is a massive. It is a Premier League thing. I think the argument here is just that there are safeguards that can be put in to alleviate what is a nationwide and you know football problem that we haven't done. And I think it's fair to pull it up and question why that hasn't been done. 
I think indeed. Well, let's get on to some questions because there are obviously going to be questions about this, about other ticket prices and a load of of different topics that we haven't discussed. So just before we do, our question section is sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies in the land, just across Putney Bridge. And if you get there and you go there before or after or actually not even on game day, you can get 10% off at the checkout by using the code WHOETHEALLTHEPIES and mentioning Fulhamish. So let's get on to these. Um, I, I think there are some you know, some good questions today. Uh, this one's from David Gad. He says, why do you think Claudio insists on playing five at the back? Is it because we're so inept defensively that he thinks the more people on the pitch who are actually defenders, the better? And how bad could it have been if Zaha had been up against our, our, our full-backs? I did think about this. Uh, what would have happened if, uh, if Zaha was playing on, uh, on Saturday? I think we know that... It's the obvious sort of thing. Ranieri is an Italian. He's a defensive manager, etc., etc. And you know, five five at the back, three centre backs, and those bombing on wing backs as a concept, it makes sense. But it just doesn't make sense of our players now. Whether what whether he's got that there's that disconnect there where he whether he can't see that now you'd say that surely as a man in his seventies who's been a football manager for the best part of thirty odd years or however long it's been he would know that and he would see that he sees the same game as us so there's but there is a disconnect somewhere between the fact of the concept of five at the back and the application of it in this team and the results of it in this team and there's a massive disconnect now wherever that is wherever that disconnect is i don't know but somebody has to be responsible for it and and in my mind it is ranieri at this point Tom, i don't understand why we start we move to it in the first place i don't think any time i've ever seen a full and team deploy this system it's ever worked I don't I think it just invites on pressure on already pony defence like I don't I don't see why I don't like if a team you know it's just I think it's inviting on pressure because of the lack of bodies in midfield and the system only works if you have competent wing backs which we definitely don't they're probably the weakest part of our team yeah. and the most critical part of this system yeah. which makes no sense whatsoever and you know maybe if we, we were in the championship and we ha- it might have, might have worked because we had the dominant wing backs but it simply doesn't work in this in this team and you know we saw when we moved to four the back it suits our full backs more because then they can overlap with, with the wingers. And we, we saw that. That's why we were getting balls in the box. Mm-hmm. Look how much time Joe Bryan had the ball for that cross from Mitchell's goal. So I don't understand why, especially after Tuesday night. Yes, yes. Okay, well, let's keep going. Actually, one from Stuart Marcham here, which is actually massively relevant and topical right now. Scherler's contract comments today uh, discuss, uh, again, for those of you who haven't seen this yet, I mean, you will soon, Basically, Scherler said that if Fulham are relegated, his clause will be activated in his contract to, to bring him back to, to Dortmund and that he, he's basically leaving if Fulham get relegated. What were your thoughts on this, Dom? I'll start with you this time, I think. I, I don't really care because I think he's awful anyway. Yeah, but um, surely that's not the kind of attitude you want <coughs> to see in the camp, right? Yeah, but like he, he's never going to stay. Come on. No, no, I don't, I don't care if he's leaving. But why would you come out and say that in the public? On a day like today, yeah, I think timing's bad, and he obviously shouldn't say it. But I don't. But you know, most I think he's. All, I think Scherler won't shouldn't be coming back into the team anytime soon when he comes back from injury anyway. And we we knew if he went down, he wouldn't be with us anymore. So I think it's it's bad it's bad timing from him, and you know the way he's come out and done it. But I don't think the way the, the way this clause exists shouldn't be a surprising aspect to fans. No, no, not at all. Drew, one of our good friends, uh, my wife and I's good friend is a German and she is so hilariously to the point and direct that sometimes it makes you, sort of takes your breath away a little bit and I think that 
you know, it's I think it's a similar sort of thing here. There's a such a thing called tact. Uh, that's you know that is a, a really clever tool to use in conversation. I think it was missing from these comments, but I don't think it's him being a big time Charlie or anything like that. I just I just think that you know he's been asked a question in his in his you know and he's very direct and he's just come and said it outright and you know okay he's he's overlabored the point here with you know with my achievements and accomplishments I you know it doesn't suit me to be play uh, to be battling relegation. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's one of those things where not lost in translation thing because I'm you know Shirley's English is probably better than mine, but it's just a it's just a culture thing where they're very direct and I think he's just delivered the answer that to the question he was asked and it just doesn't sound great. Okay, good. Let's move on to Jake Berry. He says, "Can you justify the fact that TK slash Fulham waited until transfer deadline day to do business? They clearly wanted to sign multiple defenders with interest in Sabley, Nord by Cahill." Uh, Big Mike. I'm not even going to try and try and pronounce Big Mike's actual name. Uh, so I just can't understand why they waited the whole month, ending up with nothing. Drew, I, I've been banging this drum from the first of Jan till the end of Jan, and I'll carry on banging it, and because we're going to have to do the whole thing again next year. The January transfer window is 30 days of clubs playing chicken, one day of clubs doing business. You can't do business with yourself. You need two clubs to do a deal. Now. You know, for example, the Bordeaux deal, they did not want to sell Savoy, so they're not going to engage with us. Uh, and if they ended up, you know, we offered them a deal they can't refuse, it's going to take till deadline day for that to happen. It just, for everybody saying, oh, it's the, the 4th, 5th, 6th of January and we haven't made any signings, it's just the way that the window's always been. I think the bottom has fallen out of this window anyway, incidentally, and I think clubs aren't taking that risk anymore. There was a Telegraph article that said half of the Premier League teams had decided uh, prior to January that they weren't going to do any business this window because there is no value and there never has been any value in no. it. But I think now clubs are tightening those purses. So, yeah, should, uh, to answer, actually answer the question, uh, I don't think there's any way around it. It takes two two to tango and people weren't tangoing. Tom? Pony Khan is the only way. I think the sooner he's out of that role, the better. I have no issue with... I haven't got a huge issue with him working within the club, just not working in recruitment or working anything on the footballing side. If he's working on a commercial aspect and us making us better, then fine. But why is someone who's never worked in the sport before now having such an influence on the, the way the footballing aspect of our team works? If he is going to work within the club, I think it has to be from a financial, commercial perspective. Okay. Is that the reason we didn't sign anyone, though? Or is it just, like Drew says, this window fell out, the bottom and fell out of it, and, and really no one did any business? My Yeah, but my issue is the players we did sign, why did we sign them? There are... That, so, yeah, that's that's completely uh, other topic, I that's guess. That's a completely but, different question, though. But, yeah, it is it is odd, and that doesn't make sense. But I think in the terms purely from a defensive reinforcement perspective, I just think that we did what we could do, uh, and we came up against a brick wall, ironically, which is what we need. I think the only thing that's, that really stopped us this month was just financials, and they, they're too they're too wary to not spend even more money to then fuck us over even more when we go down. I think that was one aspect to it, but you know, I think that you can find players in the window. Like Scott Dan, with that surely wouldn't have been that hard to get over the line. I mean, yeah. I guess I know he's, he can't he play well against Spurs in the FA Cup, so you might have thought he had a part to play at Palace. But you know, he would be a leader at the back, and I think that's what you need. I've mentioned it multiple times that any team that have, that acquires any form of success needs a leader at the back. Look at any team that's won any major trophy, will maybe the league and a domestic league or a Champions League. They always have that commanding figure at the back. That's why Arsenal and Liverpool didn't win a champ, the Premier League for years because, or they haven't won the Premier League for years because they've never had that commanding leader at the back. Liverpool are getting close now, or Virgil Van Dijk. 
But you know, you you look at the even look, look start with the Madrid team and won Champions League in the early two thousands. You got Fernando Hierro. You got look at Premier League teams. You got Nani Vidic. You got John Terry. You got Vincent Company. You need that come on and lead the back to form any any form of success in any form of football. So I think you know for me it's you know we needed to sign a commanding centre back if we had any chance of staying up. Okay, well, let's keep going. We're going to rattle through these because there's loads of good questions today. Freddie Coop, shouts out to Freddie. He says, who would be your ideal manager for the championship should we go down? We assume the Ranieri won't stay. Dom, you're going to have this one first. I don't know. Like, well, ideal in, in any situation would be Slap because he knows how to get division, but he's not going to come back unless they offer him loads is, of money. Is he, though? Is he, as in, look, I, I love Slavisa as much as you, and I will hold him in my heart you know, always for what he brought to this club. But actually, you know, there were two excellent squads there. He got to a playoff and, and he got promoted with this uh, the second time of asking. Someone like David Wagner took a worse squad and took it to promotion. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against frame. the idea of bringing David Wagner. I think it would be a good, I think it'd be a good appointment to bring in. But, you know, I, I, my, my thing is, I, don't, I think we need to go back to, not our roots, but like go back to, both times we've come out of the championship in the last 20 years, we've played, we've been playing football the right way and I think that's the only way we're going to do it. We're not a team who can, who's gritty and gets results like that. No, but do you know, I think Wagner's got high press and kind of actually, if we actually started playing football, Fulham would probably play a different style of football than what Huddersfield did under Wagner because, you know, he came up through the, the Dortmund Yeah, and I, th- I think Wagner was limited at Huddersfield to what he could achieve because of the financial situation and who he could sign. And I think if he was to be backed at Fulham, then I think he'd be able to do very, very well. I mean, I, I can't... I, I would love to bring him, but I can also see Wagner getting a higher job now. I don't, yeah. I think, I don't think what, what happened at Huddersfield this season has, has harmed his reputation at all whatsoever. I think, if anything, it enhanced it, really, because of the way well, he, they're still within touching distance, or were when he got sacked, or not got sacked, but decided to leave. So, yeah, Wagner, Wagner wouldn't, be a bad, wouldn't be a bad choice. There's not really anyone I'm thinking now who really shoots out to me, like, oh, I'd love to get him. It, it, right, so Wagner is my choice. Um, but you mentioned he might get a better better job in the Premier League, for example. I know you didn't say the Premier League, but if you look at the Premier League, right? Huddersfield down, Fulham down, Cardiff probably down. Dyche won't leave Burnley. Southampton have got Hassan Hüttel. Uh Okay, Newcastle, you could argue that that he might consider going there if they get rid if if Rafa leaves. Uh, I can't see uh, Palace necessarily passing with Roy yet. Hutton is never going to go. Pellegrini, who knows how that's going to turn out at West Ham? It's a possibility, I guess. Uh, and then I guess the only other one is 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 Puel at Leicester. So there are there's there's one or two options, but maybe he, looking at you know, but maybe by West Ham, you know, going to London, having a, a longer term project with a club that likes to play football in the right way. That is our reputation, by the way, despite yeah. this. Uh, right. be, yeah. yeah, but I mean, I'm, 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 even if it wasn't even if it was in Germany, I can't. If let's say Werder Bremen came in for him, Schalke are doing quite poor this season. Same as Stuttgart. I don't see why. Will he go back to Germany so soon? No, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. But if a team, if a, if a Stuttgart or a Schalke came in for him, I'm sure that'd be more attractive to him than going to Fulham. I yeah. just, I just think, I just think he is the he is the only option for us. Yeah, no, but I, I don't think he's the ideal candidate. But I think he's the he's the ideal candidate of what there is out there. I bring in Philip Koku, uh, a man you know schooled <coughs> at both Ajax and Barcelona, who is you know a Cruyff disciple, learned under them, but also has worked under the likes of Van Hal. He went out to Turkey for a bit. He did well there for a while and then decided to leave. He's sort of floating around in the managerial wilderness. And I think that kind of name on the banks of the on the banks of the Thames would, would do us good. And also, you know, good friends with someone like Edwin van der Sar, who obviously knows the club and, and, and knows it. I, I think it would be a really good person to reach out to and look to see if we can, you know, build some sort of 
dynasty of, of playing football again. And that sounds exciting. Wouldn't that be great if we regrouped, we brought in, you know, a name that, you know, you know, has pedigree, but that, you know, is at the beginning of their managerial sort of projects and journey and just just something that would just be a bit different. That would be exciting. That would be uh, something that you could really sink your teeth into over the course of two or three years, like what we had with with Savisa when he came in. That would be really nice. Uh, and I would like that. Um, but I think we're all of agreement that, you know, if we do go down, if and when that happens, the change will be made absolutely 100%. Okay, this is a good question. If we go down and we basically lose the players that we expect to lose. So let's say we lose Mitrovic, Seri, Kearney, obviously the loanies such as Rico don't re-sign I don't know whether Ryan Sessegnon leaves or not. If I'm I think perfectly stay. honest, I, I think he might as well. What, as long as Ranieri leaves, we'll stay. Do we have enough of a spine of players here who would be able to to make it a, a go of it in the championship next year? And if so, what would be the eleven you would start? Well, you've seen you've seen Betten and would return into, yeah, into the goal. I've seen Fabri would be off in the summer as well. Can't see him staying around. Right back. I think Silas Christie's a competent championship right back. I think he'll be. I think he wouldn't be a bad. Same with Joe Brown. I think Joe Brown's a very good championship left back. You know, Reem and Adoy were perfect last year. We're well, not perfect, but we're good last year. Yeah, so Tim Reem's broken now. Yeah. So I don't know. That, I don't know that injury has changed him. So I don't know what's happening. Or maybe it is just a Premier League. But you know, I think we obviously we would, I'd want to improve on this. But this, these players could be played. Do you not think Max and Mawson? I'm not sure. Mawson, we might get lucky because he's been injured a lot, so people probably won't take a punt on He'd him. Also, he's also suffered back-to-back relegations with, with clubs okay. that people didn't think would go down. Yeah, That's Max, not a great look for yeah, us. Yeah, Marshall, and I, I don't know. I, I, I'd like him. and If him and Mawson were two centre-backs, it would be a great thing to build on for next season. In midfield, you know, I, if Ken McDonald somehow stays, you got him. Johansson would come back from his loan at West Brom. You know, I don't think even if West Brom do end up getting promoted, he'll go there on a permanent deal. I feel like he will return. Then, you know, number 10, why not shove Luca Della Torre in there? Hang on, you've forgotten Big Zambo, who's going to be the best player in the he's championship not, next year. No, he's not. He's I'm great. hanging my hat on that as well. Absolutely. I think that if you saw him against Millwall this season, he was the best player on the park by some distance. And the irony is, if he helps if he helps drive us straight back up to the Premier League, he's paid his transfer free back. Straight away. And I, I, if he was to, then I think you have two players trying to do the same job in the middle of midfield with him and Johansson. I feel like they're both... They're not, I because everyone we assume everyone thought Anguissa would be holding him in, but he's not because I, I, I know he played well under Marseille because he had Luis Gustavo behind him, but yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Like I'm just, I would rather give Delatore, Delatore going with two midfielders I know that work, than give than give Anguissa a go. I'm being perfectly honest. Then I'd say Cess will stay, so have him out wide left, and you know even not Delatore in people get shove Matarani in, man. He'll, he'll he'll do a perfect job. Then sort of at the, the right wing of Conundrum, which has been a conundrum for us for us in the last three seasons. And then up top, bring back Corley Woodrow, mate. Bring back Corley. He's Woodrow. bagging the goals for Barnsley. We are. Uh, that's the biggest problem, isn't it? Up top, we need a striker. Well, a big Rue would come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sure, he's clearly sure. bagging them for Lille this season. But it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. We'd be a lot better shape going down now than we would have, than we were in 2014, and that is, um, you know, Jalalone got terminated, so you know, he got him to come back. Did it though? Because I didn't see any comms on that. I don't think comms has gone down that well this transfer window. Are we that? Are we that ashamed that he's been recalled that we just try not to announce <laughs> it and he'll just prop up, pop up on a bench against United? No, I don't think it, I don't think it's any of that. I just think that the transfer window comms in general oh, well, we, was we, absolutely. We've got awful. another key player on our team next season. Who? The double pivot McDonald Ibrahim Asise. No, Ibrahim Asise is you know is going to be the number six for the next ten years. So uh, we're, we're good with that. I think that's probably all we've got time for on today's podcast. Uh, we thank you for all of your questions. We've tried to get through as many 
of them as you can. There was a couple more, but I feel like we answered a lot of questions about, about Ranieri and what we thought about him in general in the start of the podcast and, and some of the kind of right-back questions that we got as well. And I think that that's probably all about it. We'll be back on Thursday where we'll have a Manchester United preview with the big man Aaron Paul and an exclusive interview with Felix White of the Maccabees, who is also, incidentally, a massive Fulham fan. What's left for me to do is say thank you to Drew Heatley. Thank you very much, Jack. Thank you to Tom Betts. All right. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish. Keep the faith, you whites. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. A cash recommends. recommends.